And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to a live edition of Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. Paul, what's going on, man? Tell the people Sam. what we're doing here. Sam, it is good to uh, yeah to get this thing launched with a live show. I'm excited to do it this way. We are we're doing it this way for a reason, Sam. We we have a new home. Uh, the Athletic Soccer Show feed has launched. That is where Allocation Disorder is going to live going forward, along with a couple other shows that our colleagues at the Athletic Soccer Team uh, will be hosting. Uh, we're super excited about the opportunity. We're going to do some new things with Allocation Disorder, including Allocation Disorder 1v1, where we um, do interviews with with different soccer personalities from around uh, American soccer and maybe outside of American soccer here and there. We'll see. Um, but we thought it would be a cool way to launch the show this way, the new the new feed this way, and and um, to let people know where they can find us and, and to do a Q&A in a new format, to, to have people come up on stage with their questions instead of tweeting them at us, as usual. Yes. Yes. And, and just for those of you who do not know, uh, the new podcast feed, the Athletic Soccer Show podcast feed, you can find it everywhere you find your podcasts normally. Also, you can find it on The Athletic in that app. It's on YouTube as well. It includes Allocation Disorder, of course. It also includes Soccer Every Day with Alex Abnos, one of our editors. Um, just kind of a general rundown of, of the happenings going on in the world of soccer. And in an offering I'm especially excited for, it includes Copa with Felipe Cardenas. Um, Felipe, I'm excited for him to kind of launch all of the hot takes that we get to hear on our <laughs> staff calls. And, and put them out into the universe um, and, and see how people respond to them. So that'll be fun. Um, and then, you know, we, we'll probably have some more things coming down the pipe, I'm guessing, from other members of our team. But, Paul, order of the day. MLS transfer window is coming to a close. There is news happening. Ricky Puig may be going from Barcelona to the LA Galaxy. Uh, Gaga Slonina going from the fire to Chelsea in a sale that was completed yesterday on Tuesday. Um, some other potential happenings as well. But let's start with the Puig stuff. It's been reported pretty widely that that deal is done. Um, I have a question, several in fact. How? This guy was reportedly on $4 million a year at Barcelona last year. The Galaxy don't have any open DP spots. Uh, He's not a free agent. It would have to be some sort of loan move. Presumably there would be a fee involved there. How could this get done and the Galaxy still be compliant? Can you explain it to me? No, at this point, I don't think anyone can explain it. It'll it'll take some explaining. I mean, that's hopefully what we can do with this move if it does come to completion. I, I think part of the reason there are even bigger questions here, typically we could say, oh, it's a loan and there's an option to buy that would make them a DP at the end of the year. And that would make, a you know, that could be done and could make sense. But we know that Barcelona is looking to cut costs, right? They need sales to happen. They need to get rid of salary. And if you are only 
you know, they, they presumably want to get rid of all $4 million of the salary, not just $1.5 million of the salary. So, you know, that I think adds a whole other layer of complexity to how this deal gets done. And then, of course, you have the salary cap that you have to contend with as well. Um, so if this deal is done, I'm sure the Galaxy are, you know, working to try to fit this player in, whether it's TAM or not. Um, you know, I would assume that it's not a designated player. I don't think anyone's going to be taking any of those DP contracts off of the Galaxy's books anytime <laughs> soon. Kevin Cabral's got like seven more years of his deal with the Galaxy. Not really, but he did, he did sign a five-year contract. He's on the Bobby Bonilla life cycle. <laughs> He's on the Bobby Bonilla life cycle. So it's it's an interesting one. But Sam, I, when, I, when you and I were talking about this privately, I thought it just kind of flagged the way your story did about Ernst Tanner and John Thornton and Gareth Bale that more and more often we're seeing these types of deals happen where players want to come to MLS. They don't really um, fit with teams in their salary caps or under the rules. And teams are having to find different ways to convince players to come on different, different dollar figures in order to fit them here and there. And it leads to speculation. And, you know, ultimately I think it's also probably leading to quite a few players that aren't coming to the league. Right. Um, which fit. which I think is fine in certain ways because anytime you have a limit, you're going to run into that. There are going to be players that want to come that you, that you aren't going to be able to sign. It's just kind of the unnecessary siloing that makes that even more difficult. And I think maybe we're seeing that a little bit of that here to to kind of elaborate on how this could happen. Right? It could be a loan, probably with an option to buy. Um, Puig gets maybe put on a TAM salary during the loan period for the Galaxy. And and then Barca picks up the rest of the tab for that period. And then maybe maybe he goes back and, and just continues making his money and it's a short-term solution. Or maybe they look to sell him somewhere else in January. Or maybe the Galaxy can offload one of those DPs in the offseason and, and sign him to a proper designated player contract. So maybe, maybe there's something like that going on. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Maybe they have to move a player in order to get this done. That wouldn't be shocking to me either. Yeah. Um, Paul, we have quite a few people listening. If any of you want to jump on stage and ask a question, feel free to to flag it. Yeah, I um, see. Paul sorry. is managing that. I don't know if any people have. Yeah, done that. Doyle was there, then he wasn't there. I see Pablo's here. We weren't Charlie good enough Bones. to keep him. We weren't good enough to keep hater Matt Doyle. Unbelievable. But yeah, um, if anyone wants wants to ask a question, feel free at any point. Yeah, this is this is a live Q and A. It's not just it's, Sam and. and and I talking gibberish about things that we usually get angry about on allocation disorder. So if you it have a question, I mean, we'll it's going to be that if no one raises their hand and, and probably in response <laughs> to whoever's question, whatever the questions are um, from, from you guys. But yes, we want you guys to ask your questions and we can all yell about MLS rules together while we're waiting for somebody to raise their hand and come on stage. I thought we'd drop another little transfer news nugget. Um, just that one name that both of us have been hearing that has interest in coming to Major League Soccer in this window, and that could be driving some interest around the allocation order is center back Matt Miazga. Um, not sure where he's going to land, whether he's going to land here. You know, I think both of us have heard he's seeking um, decent money, and so yeah, that you sure know, he's that on would, decent money, right? Um, he's got one more year uh, under contract with Chelsea. Um, and he would have to come through the allocation order, but I thought we'd drop that little little news. Yeah, okay. I mean, there have been pretty persistent rumors that Cincinnati is interested. I heard that uh, probably, geez, it's not new info, not current, probably about a month ago that since he was interested. They, of course, hold the top spot 
in the allocation ranking. So they would not have to trade. Although personally, it would come as a blow for me because I just hope Chris Albright continues to, to hold that spot forever, even after the transfer window closes and keeps trading out and then immediately back up into it <laughs> um, and just manufacturing game. That's one hey, of my favorite things that's happened in MLS all season. Sh- so. Shout out to Chris Albright. He's done, a, he's done a good job in his first year in Cincinnati. Um, okay, we've got two people who would like to come on stage. Ryan, uh, you're first. Ryan, he too? Had to? Ryan? Sounds right, Paul. Mike Mike is yours. You're muted right now. but the Can mic you hear me is. now? We got so you. So as a Sporting KC fan, this year has obviously been, woof. Um, they also feel <laughs> MLSsoccer.com and a lot of outlets kind of seem to avoid maybe criticism of teams at the bottom. Maybe it's kind of a collective bargaining thing, but it's felt like 14 years of the same coach who has been incredible for us overall maybe isn't doing so well lately just kind of your thoughts if you're willing to give love that it's so entrenched with its leadership i don't know if it's a change or if it's just we haven't made the best free agent signings with i would say ben sweat Kyrie shelton hasn't really done anything so for the fans over here i think there's a lot of that do we stay loyal do we ask for accountability love your thoughts Awesome. Paul, Thank you want to lead off? Um, yeah, sure. I'll lead off on that. Uh, look, I, I think um, it's been a difficult year for Sporting Kansas City, but if you look even at the recent history for Sporting, it's been pretty good. I mean, they finished the top of the West last year, right? Um, uh, the no, they did not. Colorado, forward. they were second. Second. Um, I, I don't see Peter Vermees changing, um, being changed, being fired, being moved out. I do think, though, Sam, there is a conversation worth having about the structure um, there in Kansas City. Peter Vermees, of course, is both the sporting director and the head coach. He's got Brian Bliss with him as the technical director who handles a lot of the day-to-day. And we think that's really important if you're going to have dual roles. Um, There aren't very many people left in the league that have those dual roles. Um, You know, obviously, Bob Bradley does now, Bruce Arena, Peter Vermees. Those three guys have been in the league for a really long time and have had a lot of success. Uh, Greg Vanny sort of kind of is seems to be maneuvering toward that role, but doesn't have it officially. Um, I I don't know. I I wonder whether at some point Peter makes the move to go upstairs permanently and and doesn't coach. But I I don't know that a coaching change is what's needed at Sporting Kansas City. I mean, so I think we need to start this conversation with the fact that Alan Polito and Gotti Kinda missed the entire season. Anytime yeah. you're down two DPs, most teams in the league, that's going to really, really hurt you. Um, I think it's also the context is important here. You know, Sporting finished fourth in the Shield last year, third in the Shield in 2020, 21st in 2019, third in 18, and 11th in 17. You know, Vermes has been in the playoffs almost every season, apart from that 2019, and, and then again this year it looks like. Um, so I think. I think he's more than capable of being a successful coach and a successful GM at the same time in MLS. He's proven that. Um, I don't think that's changed. I think what he is, though, you know, he may be guilty of a few things. Um, One, I think he he probably rode that core of Zussi, Espinoza, Beasler once upon a time a little bit too far and a little bit too hard. The window closed on them. They tried to extend it another year. Didn't really work. Um, that happens, you know, and we'll see if they're able to reload. But the other thing that's been a consistent issue for sporting Kansas city is just kind of how they've progressed within seasons. 
typically this is a team or a club that that has done pretty well out of the gates and then faded over the second half. They've they've always sort of played a pretty high intensity, um, high press style. Even before that was really in vogue all over the world. Um, sporting fit, you remember that phrase from back in the day? Yeah. Um, but, but playing like that over the course of a season and not rotating your squad a ton, which Vermes historically has not done a ton of, um, it creates wear and tear, especially when you're playing through the summer heat in KC, which is unforgiving. And we've seen them fade down the stretch time after time after time. And, and Vermes, I don't think, has done quite a good enough job of adjusting in that regard. So yeah, I think it's fair to ask questions of him. I also think on balance, he's, he remains one of the better coaches in the league and one of the better GMs in the league. It's, it's just kind of, you know, maybe they want to do a little bit more due diligence on injury history when it comes to their designated players. That might be a little unfair for Gotti Kinda. I don't think he really had any issues prior to this one. Um, But Polito is certainly a guy who's been in and out of lineups throughout his entire career. So that's, that's sort of my general take on Kansas city, but they have a lot of work to do this off season. And I think they do need to take a look in the mirror and kind of reevaluate and reassess and, and see where they want to go and see what kind of club they want to be. It, it does feel like it's time. I mean, it has felt time for a while for them to kind of revamp the roster and reload. And, and it seemed like they might've been starting that process when they traded Beasler or, you know, they, they moved on from Beasler, but that was it. It kind of stopped there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think you're right in that there's a little bit of, not a little bit, a lot of loyalty, and that can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing as well. I'm yeah. interested to see what Peter Vermees does in, in rebuilding. You know, I'm fascinated roster. what the actual power dynamic is like within that front office. Like, does Vermees have people challenging him? Is oh, definitely. You know, I don't know. I went and did a story where I was behind the scenes with Vermees on a game day and the day before game. And the thing that Peter said to me that stuck with me, and, and I, you know, there were multiple people in the front office then that, you know, not all of them are there still. Megan Cameron, for example, left to go to Miami. Um, but that, you know, that there are fights that Peter like wants debate constantly yeah. in, in the room. He thinks it's the best way to get to the right solution. And that, you know, he's like, yeah, sometimes we all have to leave the room to cool off from each other. But like, ultimately that's the best way to find solutions is to, to I wonder, disagree. I wonder how much, like, maybe this is unfair and I'm, I'm admittedly judging and almost entirely off of his sideline demeanor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I wonder how much of that input he's really taking in. It sounds like from what you just said that he's, he does that in a healthy way. Um, but, you know, leaning on these guys, continuing to rely on them, not really refreshing the roster as a lot of them have aged, sort of speaks to me like somebody, you know, there's somebody that needs to get in there with a stronger voice and say, hey, we need to get X, Y, and Z done. But we'll see. Yeah. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm off on that. Like I said, it's more of the uh, famous gifts from the, what, the opener in Vancouver, I think, in 2020. Yeah, it's Legendary, the F off one. Yeah. Um, thank oh, you, Ryan. Okay, we've got another we've got another yeah. request here, so I'm going to let Andy come on. He's been waiting patiently. Andy, Mike and just yours. before before Andy goes for for those of you listening, this will be released in podcast form as well later on. So if you have to drop off at any time, you can get the full episode. And you can find you can find that podcast uh, form on the Athletic Soccer Show feed or on the YouTube channel, the Athletic Soccer YouTube channel. Um, we, we do have a video format of the podcast as well. Okay, Andy. So first and foremost, I just wanted to congratulate both of you on, you know, the promotion, I guess we could call it, to the Athletic Soccer Show. Sounds like a very <laughs> big opportunity for you guys. And, you know, I think you do great work. Um, the Thank second you. thing is, Thank you. 
Um, it seems like Toronto made a very head-scratching move with the Schaffelberg loan. So I was wondering if you could provide any insight or if, you know, like it's leading, to, if that's a precursor move to something else that's going to come in the pipeline before the um, international window closes, if I understand correctly, today or tomorrow. Yeah, the window closes uh, tomorrow. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so... Sam, you know, I think typically loans are a kind of a low risk proposition, right? You're, you're sending one of your younger players on loan. Um, you are required to have a buy option. That buy option can be set at a number where it's not going to happen. Or if it does happen that, you know, it, it, there's still value for your team. Obviously, there's a lot of change going on in Toronto right now. And some really good players who have been brought in and are going to be demanding playing time. And I think this is probably an example of Bob Bradley looking at the situation and saying we need, you know, our young players to still get minutes and still contribute. And it's not going to be happening here. And so, you know, we're going to find a loan situation that we think can help the club. In yeah. The short and, term and, and sure potentially the long term. Schaffelberg probably is something, someone that was interested in it as well, I would guess. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a guy that plays on the left side. He's gotten a decent amount of minutes for Toronto over the years, um, but his playing time has dried up. Uh, over the last few months now. And Toronto just signed Crescito and Insigne, and they're playing on the left. And I don't think Schaffelberg is going to unseat them. So, you know, maybe he pushed for it. Um, Nashville could use uh, could use another option in those areas, I think, although Dan Lovitz is is locked down at the left, left wing back position, but it never hurts to have some valuable depth. Maybe they can play him a little bit higher up. That's something he's done for TFC over the years. Um, I don't know that it necessarily precipitates another move for Toronto. Although maybe, I don't know, maybe this, maybe this is something where it can help them create, well, he probably wasn't even on a senior roster, so he probably wasn't even counting towards the budget anyway. Um, so I don't know how much cap space they'd be creating. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, that one struck me as slightly strange, but it's a guy that, that probably doesn't have much of a path towards a ton of playing time for the rest of the season. So I think that's the main motivation there. Awesome. Okay. Um, Chris Reifer is here with a request to speak. Chris, you are up on stage with us in a second here. Here we go. All right, Chris, floor is yours. Hey, guys. First time, long time. Very much enjoy the show. Uh, so uh, returning to the to your discussion of, of contracts like Christian Bale, in which the teams are finding a way to... Christian Bale. Yeah, uh, teams are finding oh, <laughs> Gareth Bale. That happen? You know, I mean, it seems that we have a dynamic now where we've got some of these bigger market teams that are able to find creative ways around, you know, limitations like the DP rule. Traditionally, the bigger sort of rule hawks uh, have been owners from, I think rule you can hawks. probably rule say, hawks. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, lower revenue clubs who have tried to use these rules to control spending. Do you think that some of those owners who have been in that rule hawk category uh, are now going to look around and realize that they are the primary prisoners of the rules, um, that other owners at bigger clubs aren't, and maybe that's going to shake loose uh, some of the inertia in reform? How do you how do you fig how do you figure that before you go off air? How do you figure that the smaller the the less ambitious or the lower budget are are the primary prisoners? I, I think that's just been, frankly, I mean, part of it has just been a matter of who has been on the negotiating committees. It seems MLS uh, and CBA negotiations has had a habit of putting those types of owners on their negotiating committees 
during CBA talks, which makes sense uh, that you would sort of put your hardest negotiators uh, in yeah, the room yeah. uh, most directly with the players. And you, and you do see it from, uh, you know, the hunts and, uh, and, and owners like that who are at these smaller market teams sort of coming up. You, you of course, don't see a lot of public commentary, at least broadly, uh, on this. But it seems when we do, you know, I mean, there, there's a reason that, that back in the day when, when Deloitte Hansen was still in the league, he was one of the more vocal uh, folks about this uh, and, and about controlling these rules. His famous comments about free agency come to mind immediately. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I, I think that at least creates the impression uh, maybe it's wrong. You all are much better sourced than. I don't think I don't think the rules are, and maybe I'm misinterpreting you, Chris. And, and please correct me if I am. But I don't think the rules are holding back the smaller budget teams more than they are the lower budget teams. They can't necessarily pull off a move like like Bale to LAFC because they're not located in Los Angeles, and that was a major major part of that deal. I think it's fair to say. Um, but at the same time, if you liberalize the rules, I think their thinking goes that teams like LAFC would be able to pull off bail-like deals on the regular. And it wouldn't be such like a historic, groundbreaking, one-of-a-kind thing. It would be something that would be happening all the time. And I think a big reason why the rules are in place is to prevent that happening with such frequency. Um, so I don't know. To the point of, is this going to change? <sighs> Man, this is something I think about all the time, but um, I hope so. I think it has to for a million different reasons that I've talked about a million different times. Um, but it's not really working as is, right? It's it's not drawing enough audience for the league to grow in the way that it wants to. And with expansion coming to an end, presumably, um, relatively soon, even if they go to 32, I don't think, you know, you only got three slots left. Um, you're going to have to find a way to drive growth that isn't just buying or selling new markets. And, and that has to be through level of level quality of play as a big driver of that. And, and I think in order to do that, I think you need to, to change, change things up. Um, as anyone who's listened to me on this well knows, predictable answer on that front. We'll talk more about this a little bit later on. Um, in a way that we haven't really discussed before. Um, so stay tuned for that too. Yeah, I mean, I was I was about to do that, Sam. So I'm glad you said, but you know, I think there is going to be a question too when, with these rules not changing or if these rules don't change and the league continues to expand about the quality of play in the league and how it can be sustained. You know, can our, our homegrown players going to be enough to sustain the player pool? Um, you know, trying to find players that fit within the salary cap I think we're starting to see issues. Well, I've been making this point for a few years and maybe mostly privately, but you know, how many teams do you really enjoy watching around MLS from a purely soccer standpoint? Yeah, like, not very it, many. It's like LAFC and NYCFC at this point. And and like if you're like a, a pressing like fetish person, if you have one of those, maybe you enjoy it. like Philly can be enjoyable. Um maybe you like watching the Red Bulls in no, DC not, just no, get no, into no, 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 no. just like just like assemble a bunch of rocks and throw them at each other as hard as they can <laughs> for 90 minutes. That's uh, not really my bag, but you know, if it is, more power to you. Um so I think I think something needs to 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 break. Um but we'll see. I don't know if the owners feel the same way about it that we do. Um because for for all the issues that MLS has had with audience 
and with revenue and with not getting great returns, in my opinion, from the increases in money that they have spent on players, um, those valuations keep going up. And at the end of the day, that's probably the biggest top line motivating factor for all of these guys. Yeah. And I, I just to tie a bow on this portion of it, at least, you know, the idea that the league could improve by getting rid of these silos and these different functions like TAM and U22 and all of that, and even if they kept DPs, is not original to this podcast. It's not that. No, we are geniuses, Paul. Um, Sam, you, you know, you went back just yesterday, I think it was, and we're reading through the BCG study. Boston Consulting Group. Yeah, The Boston Consulting Group survey that the league commissioned back in 2015, I believe it was, or it came out in 2015. It might have been commissioned before that. And, you know, we, um, Pablo and I had reported on it previously and kind of went over what was in that study. But it was, the BCG suggested a ceiling and a floor in order to improve quality of play and to encourage different ways to reach um, competitiveness within that model. That it Seven was years ago, they suggested this. A, a long yeah. time ago. And the league chose to go the other direction because I think there was a difference of like 5% difference in parity, like that the 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 bigger market or higher spending teams would gain 5% more advantage with the ceiling and floor by BCG's estimates or something like that. Um, it, it was a choice that the league made to, to stay the way that they've stayed. And I think it will, I think it's going to have to change partly because I do think there are owners who are starting to get frustrated with being told what to do. Yeah. Um, we'll see. But I don't know. We, all, we always mad, say that. If you're mad, let us know. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Um, we got some more people <laughs> that want to come on stage, Paul. We do. We have four more people. So I'm going to start with uh, Gateway Gunner. You've been waiting the longest. Then we've got, just so you guys know, Gateway Gunner, then Owen, you'll be next, uh, Yank Report, and then MLS Gone Wild. Um, Whoa. Gateway, floor is yours. Gateway, you're muted. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Paul and go. Sam. Uh, my name's Lucas. I'm in uh, St. Louis, the Gateway City. So I want to know, uh, first of all, what you think of what Lutz has done with the international signings like Berkey and Nilsson and Leuven and Klaus. But then also, who are some domestic players that could be available after the season to round out the roster for St. Louis? Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the question. I'll jump on this one, Sam. I, first of all, I want to say that we're hoping, and I think this is going to happen for 1v1, that we're going to have a conversation with Lutz next week. Um I don't know when that episode will run, but I am. We are. I, be, I, I am. Paul's breaking news to me. You're, you're invited, Sam. You're invited okay. if you want to come on 1v1. But I think I am going to have a conversation with Lutz, which will be great to get some be of his ideas. I think there is going to be a a lot of domestic players. I, I don't. First of all, with international signing so far, 
you know, for me, it's always TBD. Part of it is how motivated are these players? How healthy are they? What does the rest of the roster look like? It's really impossible to tell how these signings fit until you start to see how the roster comes together and where the focus of a roster is. But when I, I got, you know, I, when I looked at the free agency list, just even the out of contract guys, not even the op, not even considering some of the players who are on options who may become available as free agents. I think there's some quality to be had in free agency this year for a team like St. Louis. Um, you can, you can make a run at Aaron long and, and would St. Louis be the right type of market to have a DP center back in the Walker Zimmerman type with, with a guy like Aaron long, you can make a run at Alex Kyans or Callens. I feel like he pronounces it both ways or I've heard it both ways. Um, uh, he'll be a free agent NYCFC. A- Anton Tinnerholm, does he get re-signed by New York? Is he, is he a free agent that you could pick up? Sean Johnson, a veteran goalkeeper. I mean, there are a lot of good – I mean, you're not going to sign Sean Johnson because you've got Berkey, but there are a lot of good quality um, players. There are a lot of good quality players in free agency that I think could be added. So I guess I guess I would say if I were St. Louis, I'd probably be targeting Aaron Long as my top free agent, just a veteran American player who can kind of become the um, – you know, kind of the the bedrock around the de- where you build the domestic side of your your roster, kind of a Michael Parkhurst type signing, much more expensive than Parkhurst. Um, but I I do think that there are some good players to be had in free agency if you're if you're St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with Paul on the international front. Um, I don't know a ton about the guys that they've signed. To to be frank, um, you know, Klaus. Not a hugely impressive 21-22 season. Four goals and four assists in 28 games uh, in, in the league in, in Belgium. That's not like a number that is like blowing my socks off by by any means. Um, so I think there's there's probably some work to do still up top. Um, you know, they, they, have, they have a center back that they signed, I think, for, you know, a decent amount of money, I would guess, um, in Nielsen. So so maybe maybe that precludes a move for somebody like long or, or Kyans potentially. Um, but there are always good of it, good players available domestically. Um, you know, we've seen Charlotte kind of learn that a little bit. Um, Shin Yashiki being, being one that's had some success there that they acquired in a trade mid season. Ben Bender had a solid, has a, having a solid rookie season for them. So we'll, we'll see some names emerge and continue to emerge even after they begin play next year. Um, as of now, I'm not expecting St. Louis to set the world on fire. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what they look like as as things continue to come together. I mean, it's also worth noting we don't know who their coach is yet, and that's going to dictate a lot of what types of players they're looking for. No, we um, Bradley Carnell is their coach. Oh, that's right, Carnell. Man, wow. I got to. Uh, <laughs> I got to wake up this morning. This is why we usually you miss your, you miss your coffee. I, yeah, I, I mean, just yeah. took my first sip of coffee. It'll show on our YouTube channel when this is uploaded. And that is why you cannot uh, have two kids and, and not have coffee until 930 in the morning. Um, <laughs> all right. Thank you for the question. We're going to get to um, some of the other requests here. I said Owen would be next. So, Owen, you are up. Hey, guys. Well, I love listening to the podcast. Uh, my question is, do uh, Landon Donovan is uh, a finalist for being the San Jose Earthquakes head coach. Do you think he will get the position, and do you think San Jose will help him become successful in that position? Thank you. Um, I think even if he gets offered the job, I don't think he'll take it. I don't think that's a good job, like at all. Uh, I don't think San Jose 
I don't think ownership there is committed to doing the things that they need to do in order to make that club successful. And I think in some ways you can look at it and say, okay, they have some good youth players coming up in the pipeline. Um, and that can be attractive. You don't have pressure so you can make some mistakes and learn on the job and, and kind of have an understanding that you're not going to be fired right off of the bat. Uh, you're going to have a decently long leash. So I think that's attractive. Um, but I just think the, like, what's the ceiling for that club as currently constituted? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's my, pretty low. So like, are you going to be like content being like a seventh, eighth place playoff bubble side? And like, where is your coaching gonna, career going to go from there? I don't know if I, if I'm Landon Donovan with the profile that he has and with the jobs that other jobs that might be available to him at some point later on with San Diego, maybe looking at an MLS expansion bid <laughs> um, and, and Landon, of course, living down there and establishing roots down there in that city. Um, I might wait. I don't think I would go to San Jose. Yeah. I've got some thoughts on San Jose just cause I've, you know, been making just sold Marcos Lopez. Yeah. They just sold Marcos Lopez. And that was, you know, a move that had to happen. He was out of contract in four months and they had an offer, seven figure offer to sell him. Um, but I, I think my problem with them is that they don't – there hasn't been a clear identity of who they want to be. And they have an ownership group that probably dictates what that identity has to be, which is a homegrown driven club. I don't – do you think that's what they're dictating? I don't think they're dictating I, anything. I, I'm not – I'm saying that their lack of ambition, their lack of willingness to spend – I think dictates that when you, if you want to be, that's the only path forward. Yeah. If you want to be successful, the only way you can do it is develop your own talent. Um, And so, you know, you look at, you know, I reported that they've started to do that. Well, they have, but, but, but as an example, like I was just going to say, you know, I reported that um, Charlotte, speaking of Charlotte, recognizing the need for, you know, domestic talent guys who, you know, what they do in MLS made a request, trade request for Jackson Yule here at, at the, at the end of this window. And the, you know, San Jose's top two of their top young homegrown players play central midfield. And so it kind of reminded me of that moment where the Red Bulls traded Dax McCarty and everyone was going crazy and it was to open up space for Tyler Adams. Now the difference yeah. is Tyler Adams is Tyler Adams, right? <laughs> right. You can't, yeah. you can't assume that you're opening space for just any old homegrown um, because not every homegrown is Tyler Adams. But I think that, um, you know, at a certain point and it doesn't have to be right now in this window up against the deadline, um, but over these next few months, as they select a coach and as they try to figure out how they're going to rebuild this roster, because that's what's going to happen, you know, they need to start to figure out who do they want to be or who will their owner allow them to be? What will their owner allow them to be? And if it's going to be a homegrown driven team, um, then, you know, you're going to have to to take your lumps probably playing some of these younger players early on. And and yeah, so yeah. if you're Landon Donovan, are you walking into that situation? It's why it made a lot of sense to me when I had, you know, I think there was a pretty loud rumor out there that Luchi Gonzalez was a top candidate for the job. It sense has calmed down significantly. And from, I, from he, what I've heard, they, he wasn't they even have in the not mix. interviewed him. Yeah. Yeah. And that surprised me just because if, if that's what you're going to be, if that's who you want to be, then um, Lucci would be but, a pretty but good But again, choice. to that same, to that same point that I made about Landon though, if you're Lucci, don't you think a better job will be available for you? Maybe, but if there, yeah. if you, it, it depends on. Yeah, I, there's so many things it depends on. But I think of both of us are clearly down on San Jose. Sorry, Owen. Um, okay, let's go back to the requests. Uh, did I say Yank oh, Report? Yank Report is 
up. We just lost MLS going wild. The Yank Report, the floor is yours. Good morning. Enjoy the show. I want to ask you guys a, a MLS transfer question. Uh, we've seen a lot of rumors and actual transfers come through from the Colombian League in this particular window. Uh, so I'm curious if you guys have any insights on, on why we're seeing so much influx from the Colombian League in this particular window. Uh, and I also want to ask about the John Brooks rumors, just your thoughts on them in general, uh, as far as him coming to San Jose. Yeah, um, we'll start, I'll start with John Brooks, Sam. I would be shocked if he went to San Jose, just from talking to people who know Brooks, and we just spoke about what's going to be happening in San Jose. Yeah, but um, I mean, here we he are. The European seasons are starting in some cases, have already well, started. They're, he's, they're he's, about to start in a few days. He doesn't have a job. Yeah, he's clearly, I think, you know, I, I was asking around about him um, on Monday, and it sounds like he was kind of patiently waiting to see if there was the right fit of a club. Someone got injured and he could step in. Um, but going to San Jose uh, all the way across the country from, you know, the family that he would still have in Germany, um, it would be a lot. And, and you're walking into a team with what kind of aspirations? Is that the team that's going to help you get back into the World Cup? Um, back mean, into the World Cup picture? I'm not sure. I don't know. He might be, like we don't weird... know how desperate he is, man. That's like, true. He does not yeah. have a job. Yeah. And and like European seasons are starting or have started. I think so. part of the reason why he doesn't have a job is the, you know, is, is the money that he was making before. And, you know, is that what, you know, is that what San Jose is going to pay you? I think that's the other the other X factor here. Um, yeah. As for the Colombian League, I wish Felipe Cardenas was here because Felipe is our Colombian expert. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I just think I think um, you know, in general, MLS teams are constantly looking for markets, and especially in South America, that haven't been invaded yet by the uh, you know by the by MLS. Yeah, by the, the <laughs> high prices spent for DP players like they have in, in Argentina and, and now in Uruguay as well. Um, and, and this isn't totally new. Like I, I, I always no, reference Colum- this. Like Columbia I was in Orlando in 2015. You know, Carlos Rivas came out of the Colombian League as a, as a young designated player. Diego uh, Chara. Diego Chara as a Colombian. Yeah. But yeah, it seems like there's been some attention paid. And I think you know, probably also helps that the South American Youth Championships have been held recently in the last year or so. There's been a lot more scouting done in South America. Fabian Castillo, even before that. Fabian Castillo. So I, I don't. I don't think this is anything new. There have been Colombian players or players from out of the Colombian league coming to MLS uh, for a long time now at a pretty good clip. Um, I think probably circumstances aligned in such a way to sort of create a wave of them this summer. But I don't know if it's anything other than kind of a coincidence. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I will say that I will tell Felipe that we got a question about the Colombian League and perhaps on Copa, which is one of the new podcasts on wow. the, the athletic soccer show, How about Reed, this? which is where allocation disorder now lives. Wow. Well, you can hear more from Felipe on Copa, his new podcast. And again, we're doing this live show, guys. That's a professional promotion, Paul. Did you like that? <laughs> yeah, thank I you. loved it. All right. What a broadcaster. We are doing this live live show because we want people to know that we are now moving over to the Athletic Soccer Show podcast feed. You can find it on Google Podcasts. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, and on YouTube, on the Athletic Soccer YouTube channel. So make sure you guys are following the Athletic Soccer Show feed so that you can continue to hear Allocation Disorder. All right. MLS Gone Wild is back. So MLS Gone Wild, the floor is yours. Is, it, is MLS Gone Wild ever really gone? 
No, MLS is, MLS is always going wild. wild. Yeah, and MLS was incredibly wild and completely on brand last night. What a crazy night, that 5-4 game. Uh, but, guys, thanks for taking my question. Appreciate you guys having the space. Paul, you briefly mentioned it earlier. That's why I backed out for a sec, but I am back. Jackson, you to Charlotte. They missed out on the bid for Aaron Ramsey. You reported earlier this week that there's potential for Jackson Yule to go to Charlotte with one day remaining in the international transfer window. Do you think that they get that done? And then I have one question regarding the crew and big signings. We've seen Gareth Bale and Senye Bernadeschi and Chiellini come over this transfer window. We've also seen Cucho, who's emerged onto the scene for the Columbus crew. Where does the Cucho signing rank amongst those big signings in this window? Thank you, Sam. I'll let you start. Where, where does well, it, where does the Cucho signing rank? Where does it rank? I mean, in terms of on field instant impact uh, at the top, right? Like the guy's been yeah. incredible since he came to the league. He can't stop scoring goals. So, so that's been like off the charts. I think he's. I think he will continue to have a lot of success in MLS. Um, I think a really dynamic player, really talented, obviously, and I think he'll. You know, most importantly, has a neck tattoo. So, um, very important, actually. Yeah. You know, it does confirm my completely biased opinion that there is like a certain profile of striker that every MLS team should be looking for. And, you know, I think that uh, Caleb Porter sums it up nicely. Must have a neck tattoo (laughs) and uh, kind of carry that attitude into his game. Um, But I I would agree. I think Cucho, you know, that's the type of high, that's the type of signing that like typically, yeah, doesn't get as much, as much love. I think he got plenty of love. I mean, it was a ten million dollar move, right? Yeah, like he, he it's got, one of the more expensive of signings like in MLS a, history. Yeah, but like when when Gareth Bale happens and Insignia happens and Chiellini happens at the same time, it was like the, the brand it was recognition. A, it was a strong. weird. It was a weird window. We haven't had a window like that in a while um, in MLS where they're like big name, older stars coming in that that kind of uh, way. Was the last of one? Twenty fifteen? No, it was, no, probably Iguain and Matuidi. Yeah, so that that was two different windows, though, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think, think it was so. two different windows. No, um, no, no, they were both summer. They were both summer. All right, well, there you go. That's probably that, but that you know didn't hit the same. Maybe that's just hindsight. Um, um as far as Jackson Yule, I think that I, I don't know this for sure. I haven't looped back around to to you know these these windows move fast. A lot can happen today and tomorrow going into the deadline. So anything could happen. Offers start to go crazy when teams start to get desperate. Um, but I would say that I'm pessimistic uh, if you're a Charlotte fan that you're going to see Jackson Ewell play for Charlotte. I mean, he's a player that San Jose have a, you know, clearly value highly and um, has been performing well this year. What do you think? So, what do you think his value, his market value is? You know, we saw Mark Anthony K go for a million plus and, and yeah. Ralph Preso. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the interesting question. I, it's funny that you say that, Sam, because I actually asked around to try to figure out like what people would peg him at because this market is changing because there's so much more GAM available now in the MLS marketplace. It's hard to peg evaluation, but I, I would say that, he, you know, he's somewhere around a million dollars and, and yeah. San Jose probably wants more than that. You know, I'm guessing San Jose's ask would be, you know, 1.2, 1.3, but I, yeah. I would say he's probably around a million dollar player when you consider what the prices have looked like for other MLS trades. Yeah. Um, I would all right. We've got a couple more people. Nick Harris, you've been waiting patiently. Go ahead, Nick. Jump on in. The floor is yours. Make fun of us if you want to. Make fun of allocation sorter. And how have we not gotten no, a question? No, don't make fun of us. What are you Definitely. talking about? I just want to know. I can't believe we've gone this far without getting a question about the discovery rule or 
I guess we've had sort of questions about allocation order. I, don't, um, I think we've had good questions. We've had great questions. I'm just shocked that uh, I don't want to talk about the discovery rule. Sam loves the discovery rule. All right, Nick, I hope that by pure coincidence, you are going to ask Sam about the discovery rule. But the floor is yours, Nick. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you for taking my question as well. Um, I'm curious with you guys, with the Gaga move, it seems like that's going to hurt the fire more on the defensive side. Um, so is there a discovery rule thing that will help them find a new goalkeeper? Or <laughs> <laughs> I like that you worked in well the discovery done. rule. Well done. Nick. Um, will it hurt them on the defensive side? Uh, probably. I, I think it doesn't matter when you're talking about a $10 million fee that could rise to, to 15. Um, they also like the other homegrown goalkeeper they have, Chris Brady. Chris Brady, yeah. Um, I don't know if, if he'll be the guy going forward. Paul, you're certainly a lot more plugged into the goings-on around the Chicago Fire than I am, so maybe you can take this away. But I think given where they are in the table, I don't think they're so concerned about this year. <laughs> when you get an offer like that for Slonina, um, you know, you, you take it, especially because he he isn't going anywhere. He's going to finish the season with Chicago. Hey, man. Hey, the Fire are unbeaten in four. They won three in a row. They are back in the playoff mix. This is MLS. MLS, man. You yeah. win a game or two, you are in the Just hunt. Trash, okay? trash teams being in the playoff mix. Love that. MLS. Um, I, I just think, yeah, this is a no-brainer move for the Fire. Does it make them worse defensively? I guess so. I mean, Salonina has been a, a good He hasn't been amazing He hasn't this year. been, you know... He hasn't been like like Matt he's Turner. Caught, he he's cost changing. them points in games. Sure. So it's a, a total no-brainer. I, I think that what will be interesting to see is do they say, okay, we're going to give Chris Brady a chance to be the number one, and they they go into the market and they look for a backup goalkeeper or a, a veteran goalkeeper at a modest price and allow it to, uh, you know, with the hope that Brady wins the job? Or – do they go the other direction and they look for a high level starting goalkeeper and, you know, they, they kind of send the signal, Chris Brady needs another year or two in order to be a starting level goalkeeper. And we're going to, we're going to find a starting solution. That's, you know, like I said, a one or two year contract. Um, that is what I'm interested to see uh, from the fire when it comes to the goalkeeper position. Uh, I don't know which way they'll go. I think they're, I think, you know, they gave, Chris Brady, a long-term contract. So they don't need to rush it along, but certainly they they think highly of him and he is the starting goalkeeper for the U.S. under 20. So if Gaga Slinina doesn't go to the U-20 World Cup, Chris Brady could be going. And that's another thing to keep in mind if you're the fire that you're going to be potentially missing Brady for uh, you know a month or a few weeks in the middle of the season as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that'll be the interesting thing to watch. All right, we have one more request. Patrick Murphy. I'm bringing Patrick Murphy onto stage and um, we'll see what he has to say, but Gaga Slonina, man, $10 million, pretty big, pretty big move for the fire. Uh, probably sends a, a pretty big signal to their Academy. Yeah. One of the bigger the- outgoing transfers in league history. Pretty incredible. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Pretty incredible what's happening in the the MLS market. All right, Patrick, the floor is yours. You're muted, Patrick, just so you know. Patrick. Well, Sam, you're going to have to come up with a topic while we wait for Patrick. Sam, what do you think about the discovery rule? (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm not talking about that. That's what I think. Um, We do have a bigger topic that I want to discuss. There's Patrick. There we go. We got Patrick. Oh, oh, we no. lost him again. Now we lost Patrick. Man, brutal. Oh, all right. Patrick, if you're having issues, you can just uh you can just type out your question oh, here. on Twitter. Up. Oh, there you are. Patrick, go ahead, buddy. Nope, we lost. All right. All right. I think we're gonna have to bail Sam, on Patrick. You got Patrick, just talk. type your question and, and we'll try and answer it. Yeah, we can um, watch it in the chat. Paul, I have a question for you, and I'm just gonna keep it short and sweet. Is there too much parity in MLS? Yes. Why? Yes. I mean, I think I, I, I don't think it's necessarily about too much parity. I think it's the way we get to the parity that's the problem. Well, like, let's we we've talked about that. We talk about that all the time. Is there yeah. too much parity in MLS? Is this is it still interesting when when every team feels like they're kind of the same? I think for yeah, I do think for most people who are tuning in it is it does make it more interesting i think the problem is for me as a as a neutral viewer is that there are teams that i that you are clearly not good that are that are in the playoff hunt for a long time and that is a little bit um i don't know i don't know the right word to use but it it, it i'm not motivated to watch those games between the ninth and seventh best teams in the east fighting for the seventh playoff spot when i feel like those front offices or those teams are being rewarded for not having a great roster. Um, and that's where I start to get upset. Do I, I think the problem is I feel like there's not enough parity at the top right now of the standings. Like I, I feel like there's no, this is what I'm talking about. There's no like defined upper class year yeah. to year in MLS apart from a couple of select teams. I would say Seattle and NYCFC mainly yeah. would be those two. Um, and those two teams aren't really dominant regular season teams. They're, they're solid every year, but they're not blowing teams out for the most part. Although, you know, NYCFC can do that from time to time. Um, Paul, I, I ran some numbers this morning. Um, oh and I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got in my spreadsheets and, you know, I just looked at the, the, the finish in the supporter shield standings of every team in MLS over the last 
five years and how much that changed year to year, right? And, and so the annual average change over that five-year spread is six places across the league. For the Premier League, I, I was curious. Let me let me do a little comparison, right? The average annual change, so the the number of places on average that a team went up or down in the standings year to year was 2.99, half, right? And, and I'm not saying that competitive balance is a bad thing. I don't think any league should strive to be what you've seen in Germany or Spain or Italy, for that matter, for the most part, where a lot of seasons you enter knowing that, okay, there's one team that's going to win the title, or maybe there's two teams that are going to duke it out, maybe three if you get lucky. I don't think that's productive either. But I think MLS has gone too far down the spectrum of, of competitive balance, and I think it's gotten to a point where you don't know year to year who the elite are going to be. Right? We had that discussion about Kansas City earlier, right? going from first to worst, essentially. Look at New England and Colorado. They were the top two teams in the Shield last year. I think they're 19th and 24th in the standings right now. Maybe Colorado jumped because I haven't looked since, since they won last night. Um, but that doesn't happen anywhere else. And I think that hurts the ability of the league to kind of tell stories and sell itself to fans. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm overdoing this. I think there will always be competitive balance when you have single elimination playoffs. For so, sure. So I don't think you need to manufacture as much of it within a regular season. Um, I'm curious. I'm going to dive more into those numbers later today. Look at other leagues in Europe. Look at other leagues in the Americas. And, and look at goal difference, too. Because I yeah. think that'll kind of tell us what it looks like within individual seasons. Well, I think um, you hit the nail on the head there, Sam. Is that The thing about MLS is that everyone always has a chance to win a title because it's a single elimination playoff. You know, 50% of the teams make the playoffs. Like, you don't need to be so focused on the regular season, everyone feeling like they have a chance. Like, there's, there's, you know, it's good to create. Like, think about when Seattle and Toronto were constantly facing off in MLS Cups. Like, it was starting to feel like there was, like, a, ba- a power battle every year in MLS to who was going to be the best. And that was interesting. Um, or when you go even further back when there were fewer teams in the league and, you know, at Red Bulls playing or Metro Stars, whichever, however far back you want to go, <laughs> playing against DC United. Those games were great, not just because those teams hated each other, but because they were both decent teams. Not always. I don't want to group every time. Yeah, I don't know if that's together, the but, best comparison. But, you know, I, I think that there is something to be said about, again, just allowing teams to maximize their yeah, let let the let the teams that want to be elite try and separate themselves in a meaningful right. way, and let everybody else try and keep up. And even if they can't, as long as they do enough to finish in the top seven in their conference, they'll have a shot. And I think that's more than enough legislated parity. And I think right now they're in a place where just I don't know, maybe it's just me. It just feels really homogenous. Like I could watch any game, and I don't know who's going to win. And I think there's positive elements of that. But I think in aggregate over the course of a season or multiple seasons, it just becomes hard to create like heroes. Think about like the NBA and super teams, right? Like I think those are good for interest and for viewership. The NFL has great competitive balance, right? You see rags to riches and riches to rags every year in that league. But the NFL demand is inelastic for that product. That's not really the case in any other sports league besides maybe the Premier League. And so I don't think you can really look at that and say that's a model that we want. 
well, just because it's, it's it's such a different universe in every single way. I think the one of the problems that the league has faced and faces, you know, still is how do we get people to tune in to our games? And that's not just tune into your local game. Like they've been pretty good at that in terms of people. No, it's, a, it's how do we make people fans of the league? Right. Yeah. How, how do we get and how do we get a Portland fan to care enough to tune into Columbus, Nashville in the middle of the week? And I think the problem is that there's nothing compelling right now about a lot of these matchups. Well, maybe yellow is their favorite color in that case. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Like, how can you convince a, not, a soccer fan that MLS is the league to start watching without something? You, you need somebody to root for or somebody to root against. You need drama. You need um, stakes. And yeah. I feel like part of it is that because everyone is so – everything in the league is so homogenous, everyone's so in the same place – that it doesn't feel like there are stakes and to, unless you're fighting yeah. for a playoff spot, which are bad teams. So it's like, right. oh, we'll watch our bad teams try to get seventh place. And, and that's and not I don't compelling know. either. Maybe, maybe it's like maybe I'm overstating this because there are so many other elements to this problem. And maybe if you had a truer sure. elite in MLS of six to eight teams and you had some teams that really struggled and then you had the rest kind of duking it out for those playoff places, um, maybe it wouldn't make a difference at all. <laughs> but I don't know for me at least the matchups at the top of the league would become a lot more compelling and I think right now the league is in a place where those games aren't even as interesting as they have been even in prior years in MLS yeah like it, it's just the 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 swings and the variance between year to year between who's at the top and, and who's not involved um at the top like like I mean man like top three teams in the league last year were or three of the top four were New England, Colorado, and KC. And, and they're all pretty bad this season. New England set the points record and they're not even they're 15th. Like, how does that how does that happen? <laughs> what kind of league does that happen in? It's crazy. Yeah. And I and it's not an easy problem, like you said, um, but it is a it is a problem. Um, and I think, you know, part of it probably comes down to the table too. Like at the top of a table, when you're a single table, you're all fighting for first place and without, with an unbalanced schedule that we know the supporter mm -hmm. shield is thought of differently and you have two different conferences. And so you're fighting for your seats, yeah. but is there a big difference between finishing second and third in your conference? Not really. Um, so there's so but, many but different those, elements. Those are still this. consistent outcomes. Like just the swings of the elite team, the historic best regular season points, total team in MLS history. You know, and they made a few moves. They lost some key players in Turner and Buchanan and Buxa. But like like dropping how they've dropped, it's kind of astounding. Same with the Rapids. You know, and, and I think we knew that both those teams punched above their weight last year, even as it was happening. But the gap is it's just wild to me. I, I need to think about this more and, and marinate on it, but I'm trying to write something on it. Otherwise, I'm just going to be spending a lot of time in Google Spreadsheets for no damn reason. <laughs> it's not the first time that's happened to you, no, Sam, I'm sure. No, probably won't be the last. Um, well, listen, we've got you know three minutes left in this hour-long live show. Not that we set an hour-long limit on it. Are we putting early, a limit on it? No, not really. But you know, I do feel that, again, I want to emphasize. Hold on, hold on. Pablo's, check out our podcast. Pablo's, Pablo's, Pablo's no, in the I was getting that. I was getting there. <laughs> Did you already bring him up on stage? Uh, no, oh, I left. didn't. Oh, he left. Here we go. Here we go. Pablo, figure it out, man. Pablo, add a speaker. Pablo Maurer is here. He wants to talk, and I felt like this is a good, a good uh, way to 
start to wrap up this live show. I don't know, man. I want to. I say we go for another hour. hour. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll do it. We're doing a telethon for the athletic soccer yeah, show. Yeah, we're going to be here all day. Who are we raising um, money for? We're raising money for the San Jose earthquakes. <laughs> oh, God. oh, well, it's Pablo, I don't know what's going on with Pablo. I don't know what's phone. going on. He's, he's having trouble either. connecting. Pablo's like on Chickatigue Island right now with some horses and no cell service. Oh, that's the horse island. Yeah, well, there's two of them. Oh, have you ever been? I've not been to Chickatigue or Assateague, but Pablo has. Pablo, which one do you go to, Chickatigue or Assateague? He requested again. I don't think he's. I don't think he's on. Unbelievable. Chime again. I'm blaming this. On that was you. the perfect question to bring Pablo up. There we go. Pablo, Chickatee or Assateague? You're muted, Pablo. Pablo, are you on a horse? Sorry, right can now? you hear me now? There we go. Yeah. Sorry, right. I'm not a long time listener here, first time caller. Um, now I'm I'm in Washington <laughs> D.C. I'm in my car. I just I was struck by something you guys were talking about. Paul, wait, so did Paul just make that up? No, What's going I was, on here? I, well, I was <laughs> supposed to go camping this weekend, but then I didn't. Um, so it's, it's Wednesday. It's not the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it's called vacation. It's a long, every day is a, a weekend when you're on vacation. Go ahead, Pablo. <laughs> I was struck by something. I, I think Sam is pretty spot on about, you know, with his parody argument. I'm, I'm also struck just from a business standpoint. I've, I've, I've often thought this, that, you know, like right now, the, the primary sort of driver of, franchise values going up in, in uh, the league are expansion fees. And I think at some point, although I'm not entirely convinced this will happen, <clears throat> um, they'll have to stop expanding. And at that point, the only thing that will be able to drive franchise values up essentially is the quality of the product or the quality of the teams. And I think like the sort of superstars and mega clubs are sort of essential to doing that. I also think the way the system is set up right now where these franchises keep going up no matter essentially what you do and we're making the playoffs is like the lowest bar imaginable. It's what teams aim for. Um, makes it easy for a lot of teams just to say, Oh, it's fine. You know, like we'll be in that 50%, our, our franchise fee, you know, our, our valuation will continue to climb and, you know, it creates laziness. So I think it's important eventually to create the sort of dynamic that Sam's talking about. I don't know. That's just my thought. Oh, I obviously agree. I think you're a very smart and wise man, Pablo. I know. We, we both are smart. Um, this is the upset the upset of the century here. Pablo coming on to Allocation Disorder live and immediately agreeing with Sam Stasekul and praising his ideas. It's just... Oh, come on. We're all stunned. The tension here. between me and Pablo is overstated. It's, I, Sam, I texted, I texted Paul earlier on the program and I said, Sam is really good on this program. And then I promptly said, do not tell him I said that. Just, <laughs> yeah, because you wanted to tell me yourself. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, but I think I think you're right. Like I I, I don't know. And, and but the problem is is that you have so many owners who would be affected negatively on an individual level if they allowed this to happen, right? Because if you're Colorado or Chicago, well, yeah, you kind of like the fact that you can suck for half the year and still be involved and still be in it. Um, it creates a degree of security. So you're, you're asking them to take on more risk and, and potentially be exposed as, I don't know, being bad at the rich guy Olympics that is but, owning a professional but, sports team. But, <laughs> but that's not 100% true because as we said before, that, that race for the seventh playoff spot still exists. You still get into the tournament at the end of the year that's a single elimination tournament. 
you you might not be competitive with the first and second and third place teams for the whole year and and have them be much better than they are now um but at the end of the day you're you're still competing you get into seventh and you have a shot in one game to beat that team so they can still sell what they're selling um and 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 maybe see that gap grow where we can we can see a little bit more of competitive soccer at the top of the table. You, you guys said you have a couple minutes left, so I think we should probably just unpack pro rel. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. We don't we don't talk about that on allocation. All right, let's do, like, no, let's do it. No, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, it will it will never happen, but um, it would be better if it did. How about that? I'm pro pro rel. I said it. I mean, is there anybody in a, is there anybody in American soccer who's who? I mean, that is the answer everybody would give you is yeah, it'd be great. It's- is there anybody in American soccer who's who's who disagrees with that stance? Yes, everyone who matters. Well, you're right. <laughs> Every MLS owner, as, as Ian Air once told me, it'd be like uh, asking MLS owners to uh, vote for pro rel would be like asking uh, turkeys to vote for Thanksgiving. Yeah, no, and he's right. Like, and it's understandable if I paid a three hundred twenty-five million dollar expansion fee to get in a league, and then I was like, "Hey, uh, you're going down. See you later. Maybe never." I wouldn't be into that idea either. I do um, think though that it's 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 become a more reasonable discussion to have as the second division teams have started to there. There have been more that have emerged with real investment, stadiums being built, and ownership groups that are putting actual money into the teams. I mean, there's still a long way for USL to go. They have short-term contracts. There are still areas where they can I don't improve. Think, I don't think the ecosystem's quite ready for it. No, no, no. If this ever happens, make no mistake, if ProRail ever happens, it's going to be some version of MLS 1, MLS yeah. 2. And it's also going to be... Don't, it's also I don't be even what, think that'll happen. Yeah, it's going to be what the league uses to justify expanding to, you know, 8,000 mm-hmm. teams or whatever it is. You know, yep. like... Uh, I I think, though, you know, to get out of dreamland and and to ground ourselves back down to earth slightly here, there does need to be a serious conversation about stakes and raising them like there are no real financial incentives for performance in MLS on a team level, not real ones like in England, how much money you make as a club is tied, at least in part. To where you finish in the standings. And that, that creates a motivating factor that doesn't exist here in MLS. And, you know, to, to your point about valuations, Pablo, that's part of the reason valuations are so high across the league is because there's guaranteed sets of income or you know that, that regardless of how you do in the league, you're going to be getting the same revenue share and all of those different t- kinds of things. But I do think the league needs to find a way to kind of raise the stakes um, and make games matter more. What if we tweet this new media deal to, to pay teams more that are more consistently in the top third of the league. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of pipe dreams, that will never happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do we have any other, Pablo, not to kick you uh, off, but we, we do have, we do have another, we do have another hey, request hey, what from are you Scott doing? Innes. Pablo can one. stay on. Let's just bring Scott in and let right, Scott, Scott ask his question. Yeah. You're, you're in here. Pablo's here too. Scott, the floor is yours, Scott. Oh, dead air situation, Scott. We're waiting it's for now, you. This is this is we're breaking the cardinal sin of podcasting. Somebody talk. 
Oh, man. Uh, well, you know, maybe this is the right way to wrap up this pod is to just, you know, have Scott take us take us home with a bit of dead air and, like, you know, just wow, end it the way Sam Scott. usually the way Sam usually ends shows, as, as Scott would know, and as anyone else who listens to the show, is that you say a few random words and then you basically stop mid-sentence and say the show is over. And then that's how the show ends. So, um, Guys, can we, wanna, maybe we could close with me just telling the both of you that you guys are my favorite MLS podcast. Thank you, Pablo. I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna text that to David Goss immediately, and he's gonna be furious. <laughs> <laughs> I really like going on David's podcast, and then just saying embarrassing things about the league on the league's air, and listening well, to, sh- to people. You're not allowed to say that out loud. People listen to this show, Pablo. Be careful. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go ahead and mute myself. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, th- thanks. Thank, thank, thank you, Pablo. You. Thank you to everyone else who's been here listening uh, to Allocation Disorder live. Uh, Sam, again, total, we're going to be on, we, we want to say, oh, we want to say thank you to Total Stalker Show. Um, yeah. Yeah. For giving Taylor. us the opportunity. Taylor, Daryl, um, brought us into the Total Stalker Show family. Joe Lowry was editing us. Um, and you know, Sam was yelling at Joe, don't take at that two, out of the at show. Two in the and morning was, most of the time, it, by the way. It, yeah. It would confuse recording. Joe. Yeah. Do I really take that out of the show or do I really not take it out of the show? We no, we don't Joe, know. take this out of the show if you're yeah. listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you to them. But yeah, we will be living on the Athletic Soccer Show feed um, going forward. So make sure you're following the Athletic Soccer Show feed. You can find us on YouTube as well. And, you know, this is me trying to carry the piano here at the end of the show to make Sam angry. Do you want some help? You good? No, you get yeah, I, I All right, we're good. Thanks for listening. This has been Allocation Disorder. I'm Sam. He's Paul. Until next week. Thank you.